And good morning, everyone. It's the Notaku Anime Chat, where we dive into the deep end of the anime pool and talk about all kinds of stuff that you didn't know you were interested in until you heard us say it. Today, we're coming to you live from Guayaquil, Ecuador. Guayaquil? No, we're not, actually. I made that up. Um, and uh, I'm just finishing up some kimchi for breakfast. And enjoying a uh, slightly less hot than normal day in Kobe, Japan. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Setsuken, correctly pronounced. How are you this morning, Setsuken? Mm, so desne. Watashi wa kyukitsuki. Kono kanji desu. Oh, Setsuken speaks Hindi. I didn't realize that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was Japanese, of course. And please tell our audience what you said, Setsuken. So basically what I tried to say and used probably the majority of my Japanese knowledge was that I feel like a vampire. Mm. Yeah, I, I slept for an ungodly amount today and I just kind of woke up from hibernation and I feel like now it's nighttime and I feel like, you know, the it, it just feels very unnatural to me. That's one of the things about our podcast, of course, is that for Satsuki and I inevitably... When it's morning for one of us, it's evening for the other. So uh, you always catch us at different points. It seems like usually our recording times have been morning for me and evening for Satsuken. But uh, by the way, this gives me an opportunity to throw out one of the great Japanese insult and compliment at the same time. Insomplement, as I like to call them. The Japanese language is expert at this. Nihongo ga jōzu desu ne. So that is when a Japanese person, when you say even the simplest thing in Japanese correctly they throw that out there as a way of saying oh my god i can't believe you big dumb foreigner you actually were able to say that word correctly the japanese are wonderful at phrasing insults in the form of compliments it's something they're very good at yes and actually i have a little story on that just to kind of start us off they at least in america whenever you run into a japanese person um i think in la when i was kind of going around there i went to a sushi restaurant and just to kind of challenge myself, I talked, tried to hold a conversation with the chef there in Japanese. And he was so impressed with my accent, not the language itself, because I'm not amazing at it. But the accent was so striking to him that he asked me, well, he was very happy, but he asked me where I had uh, been stationed. So he assumed that I had served <laughs> in the military over in Japan. And I said, no, no, I just really like your language. And then... Uh, he proceeded to later on in the night give us free dessert because he was so pleased with the the fact that I had tried to converse with him in his language. You find that happens a lot actually at at Japanese restaurants in the states. Uh, is they you get free stuff if you manage to strike up a connection with with uh, with the chef, especially sushi restaurants. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I've been to many sushi restaurants in LA, and uh, there are some that are actually run by Japanese people. It's not. It's not the norm, but when you find those, they do tend to be a, a step or two above the others. Um, and it's always great to see. L.A., of course, has Little Tokyo, too, which is one of the one of the few legitimate full-on Japanese neighborhoods in the United States. That's where so, I went. Yeah. Um, I also want to say the challenge with kimchi, which I love, is it stinks the hell up out of the refrigerator. How do you store kimchi in your refrigerator without stinking up your refrigerator? That is the question. 
Uh, and maybe I'll throw that out there to our listeners. If anyone wants to offer any suggestions, please feel free to pass those by uh, my way. You got any suggestions for that, Satsuken? Um, I've only had dried kimchi powder oh. or the stuff that's in a jar. So maybe you are having the really fresh, good stuff. And don't you find even even a jar won't hold that smell, though, is my experience with kimchi. It's so powerful. I'm also uh, what we call a desi here. So I'm Indian Pakistani. So I'm used to spices and the smell and all that kind of permeating mm-hmm. the house. Yeah, that's true. The only thing is if you have anything dairy in your fridge, like butter or cheese or milk, if you have a strong kimchi smell in there, uh, you're out of luck. So I usually do buy the fresh stuff, which comes in like a plastic tub, which has a snap-on lid, but it's not quite as secure as a jar. And then I put that inside of a Ziploc bag, and it still doesn't contain it. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable, but it is good for you and delicious. So there you go. Uh, and especially if you're feeling like a vampire, like uh, like Setsukin, then well, maybe the garlic is uh, it has a special potency too. So uh, there's our uh, introduction for the week. And uh, of course, as always, we're very pleased to be with you. And uh, as you know, we like to start off our our podcast with a little something we call... Okay, it's an anime podcast. And this is the part of the podcast where we start actually talking about anime. Uh, so Setsuken, any interesting updates, changes to your viewing schedule this week? Yes. So the one thing that I caught up on finally was God of High School, which is what people have dubbed Battle Tournament Arc, the anime series, which is pretty accurate, I think, in some ways, because the whole show is about this one big martial arts tournament that these high school kids are uh, going with. But I think it started to pick up now because it's actually gone away from the tournament arc and the side plots are now getting fairly good so it's still not anything to write home about it still feels like it's very korean which is unique it's it's by a korean director and all that stuff and it's based off a korean manhwa but uh i believe that's actually a term manhwa but um yes um beyond that um just watching re-zero continue to deliver uh, caught up on Detective Billionaire Detective this week. Mm. That's been going really good, and I'm midway through my Gundam Seed rewatch with my wife. So we're we're getting to the point where it's getting pretty interesting. Yeah, I I did watch a couple of episodes of God of High School, and uh, I found the visual style was kind of interesting. Uh, but it was just so you know maybe if I'd gotten past the tournament arc like you did, maybe I would have embraced it at some point. But it it was just so. I don't know what the word is. I just, I just, I, I couldn't take the story. It was just, it was, it was too much of whatever it was. It was whatever it was. It was too much for me. Uh, uh, and on my side, I'm watching the same stuff you knew I was watching. And I did want to talk about, uh, yeah, the billionaire detective I think is going quite well. Um, maybe a little suspension of disbelief thing going on with there for me. Some of the stuff is a little far fetched, but it's not reinventing anything. But what it's doing, it's doing quite well. I think it's, it's very entertaining. Uh, A couple of non-anime things I'm watching that we haven't really talked about that I I just want to throw in there because they're sort of connected. One, I am uh, three quarters or so the way through my rewatch on Netflix of Avatar The Last Airbender, which I think is certainly one of the greatest animated series in any language that's ever been created. Uh, So I love Avatar. 
And I, sadly, the two creators of Avatar who were originally involved in the live action Netflix show have since dropped out because of creative disagreements. So my expectations for the live action have plummeted as a result of that. But I am really enjoying Avatar. Again, it's, it is a great show. And then also an interesting Netflix show called Midnight Diner, which is based on a manga. And it's about a uh, guy who runs a diner in Shinjuku who it's only open from midnight to 7 a.m. And he has interesting people come in and have their own stories. And each episode is themed around like a specific dish. His policy is he cooks whatever his his visitors ask for as long as he has the ingredients for it. And sometimes I'll even bring the ingredients and ask him to cook something. Uh, and it's just one of those weekly serial shows that's kind of dreamy and surreal and very Japanese. It It is, as I say, based on a manga, and it could certainly have been an anime, but it's, it works very well as a live action. Um, it was um, originally aired on Japan for two or three seasons on its own, and then Netflix picked those up and it proved really popular, so they produced a couple more seasons under the title Tokyo Stories, but it's still basically the same show, still produced in Japan. So, a couple. Have you heard of either? Well, I know you've heard of Avatar. Have you seen Avatar? Have you watched Avatar? And have you ever heard of Midnight Diner? Yes, Avatar: The Last Airbender was probably, I would say, the best Western animation I've seen. I think um, there are a few others like Batman: The Animated Series, but those are superhero things. This is the first one where I can see why people mistake it as anime. It's definitely not. It's very Western, I think, and it's storytelling but it's very good um i was a huge fan until i saw legend of korra past season one and that just kind of cratered the the franchise for me and that did have the original creators involved it did as for uh midnight diner i've seen a couple of episodes it's really good i don't know why i didn't finish it but um it what i watched of it was fantastic so uh very good stuff on both counts are you gonna rewatch legend of korra too what are your thoughts on that no um i don't need to rewatch it i didn't hate it i but and the third season was the best clearly to me it was far better than the first two but in every respect for me korra was inferior to atla it just wasn't as good on any level maybe visually but uh even there it, it it's lacked a certain i don't know a certain panache that the first series had visually i thought uh, it just, it was fine, but I have no desire to sit through three, three seasons of it. it. It's just, it's, it just wasn't that great. Uh, so no, I won't be rewatching it. Um, but I, I will say <clears throat> that, uh, it did introduce a couple of interesting elements to the mythology and it doesn't ruin the original ATLA for me. It's not so bad that it, makes me, you know, that it makes me feel like I want to wash my hands of the whole franchise. The original is still great. It will always be great. Korra was nowhere near as good, but it wasn't so bad that it, that it, that I would call it a travesty. It just was, it just was patently inferior to the first one in every way. If there had never been an Avatar The Last Airbender, maybe I would have liked Korra, you know, a lot more because I would have said, oh, this is, this is good. But as it was inevitably, because it was a sequel, you can't not compare it as you're watching it and it's not a comparison that that puts Cora in a particularly favorable light I don't think it's easy to see I agree with you that Avatar is is very western actually in its storytelling kind of motifs although for me it's 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 
definitely have anime influence. There's no question that it's anime influenced. And I think a lot of actually people in Japan in the anime industry were big fans of Avatar, as it turned out. And uh, one of the things that Avatar was sort of legendary for is letting the animators in Korea kind of have creative freedom in how they wanted to draw it and really empowering them, which, you know, it's kind of a dirty little secret. It's not even a secret, really, that a lot of Japanese anime is actually produced in Korea now, too. It's outsourced. And it's there's not a lot of creative voice given to the Korean animation teams. So it, that, that's quite a difference. And I think Avatar showed that you could get great results uh, from uh, Korean animation studios. They did a wonderful job with that show. And we're now seeing, you mentioned um, God of High School. We had Tower of God. We have another one, Noblesse, coming off in uh, next month. Uh, so we're seeing more Manhua uh, getting literal anime adaptations now, actual Korean material being produced in anime form. And in fact, uh, Noblesse, maybe we'll talk about this at some point in the future, spoiler, uh, is actually directed by a Korean. So it'll be interesting to see. And then you see like Tower of God had K-pop, OP, and ED and stuff. So anime is basically acknowledging the existence of of Korean, uh, of manhwa and Korean animation in a more open way than it used to. So, uh, which is nice to see. Okay, so I think that's what we're watching then. Uh, gee, I wonder what we'll do next. Hmm. I wonder if anything interesting happened in anime this week. The anime. Okay, it's always an exciting week in anime, whether it's an exciting week or anime or not, because it were when we talk about it, it's exciting. Uh, one of the things we want to talk about, Setsuken, in our news section is I wanted to introduce a new feature this week, which is the. Uh, ratings the rankings the bestseller rankings from japan in other words things like uh maybe our listeners are interested in uh what anime are selling on disc what manga are selling uh so if you don't mind satsukin i'd like to briefly divert and we can talk about that we'll give you like the top five how's that sound the top five in all the various categories uh and let's start let's start with the weekly comic ranking uh, and the number one series here, which kind of interested me, actually, is Honey Lemon Soda, Volume 14, by Murata Maya. It's a shoujo manga that would interest me, not so much that it was the number one seller, but I, I actually had never heard of this manga. And it's very, very rare for something to pop up number one on the uh, sales charts in Japan, <laughs> and I've never heard of it. But uh, there you go. So that was number one. Uh, another World Labyrinth, that series came in at number two. Uh, what did you eat yesterday? Which is another manga I don't know much about. Uh, is number three Space Brothers Volume Thirty Eight still there? Yona of the Dawn Akatsuki no Yona came in at number five. That's you know I love we you love Yona too, right? Uh, you know Akatsuki no Yona. Um, that was the series I was talking about a couple of episodes ago, where I was like, I don't know if I ever want to watch that because it will probably never get a continuation and it was incomplete right yeah it was very incomplete and it's it's a shame uh it's it's certainly a shame but at the same time uh the 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 manga is phenomenal and it is available and if you were ever going to pick up um if you're ever going to pick up a manga to read akasuka no yona would be a great one to read because it, it, the manga just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting deeper. 
in 38 volumes, no, not 38 volumes, but it's, it's such, it, it continues to be a huge seller. There's, you know, it's not impossible. It could, it could get another season because the manga does continue to sell so well. It's not impossible. But uh, so anyway, those are our top five in volume sales. Now we're talking about the next category is buy comic work. And this is a category that they do which series, which franchise sells the most total volumes all for, you know, all editions. Can you guess uh, which series, Setsuken? Can you guess which series is number one? Kimitsu no Yaiba. Very good. Uh, very good. Kimitsu no Yaiba, as always, number one. And even though there have been no new volumes for a little while now, it probably will continue to be number one for quite a long time. Uh, number two was Spy X Family. Which, yes. which is a soon to be an anime, I'm sure. No question in my mind that that will happen. It was announced, wasn't it? Was it already? I didn't. I didn't yeah, yeah, think yeah. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. They, I think they announced it. Okay. Well, while I'm talking, you research that because I did not think we had a Spy X Family announcement yet. Although I know it's definitely coming. Uh, I may, I may have forgotten. I do forget things occasionally. What was yep, your name yep. again? Okay. Did they have a season? Is there a season mentioned? Uh, no, but they did announce in, I believe they announced it, uh, oh, it just says that anime is being planned. That's all okay. they've announced. It'll, it'll come out sometime next year. So yeah, um, but it'll be a while. It's five, say, so. five volumes. So they could do one anytime really from like, you know, spring next year on. It'd be fine for a one core. They may want to give it a little more time. I haven't read it. I hear good things. Uh, number three. Can you guess number three? Boku no Hero? Very good. You're two for two. Boku no Hero Academia came in at number three. That's on 28 volumes now, I believe. Then we have number four, One Punch Man, which uh, had uh, One Punch Man, uh, the 22nd volume of that series came out. Really? Yeah. Um, and finally got uh, Child Emperor finally got the cover there. So Murata finally got to draw Child Emperor on the cover after 22, uh, 22 volumes. Number five was Dr. Stone. Uh, nice kingdom number six attack on titan number seven uh haiku let's see on jujutsu kaisen kaisen number 10 which has an anime coming up this next season have you read jujutsu Tyson kaisen at all uh no but i'm excited for the anime i'm i haven't been that excited about it honestly but um i'm certainly going to check it out it it will be again spoiler it will be in my uh season preview uh post on lia when that comes out uh, but I, I actually have not heard great things about the manga, but I, I don't know that much about it. All right, let's move on to anime Blu-ray. Anime Blu-ray, okay. Anime Blu-ray number one in the anime Blu-ray list is uh, Princess Connect Redrive, Volume 2. Digimon Adventure, Last Evolution. Magical Record, Magical Girl, Madoka, Magica, Gaiden 5. Lots of Magicas. Digimon Adventure Last Evolution Kizuna, number four. And then, uh, let's see. You're the only one who likes me. Uh, what is this one? I mean, that's not... Oh, the OVAs yeah. that just came out. Yeah, that's the that was the generic, com- the seemingly generic comedy harem show. It was, it was actually pretty good. I watched the last three episodes, I want to say, a week or two ago. That strikes me as a strange Google translation. I wonder, I, what, do you remember the Japanese title on that one by any chance? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Okay. It, it was, but it was this. It's basically, ref, it's a light novel adaptation. Okay. It was basically referencing 
the fact that one of the girls that the main character doesn't like is the actual girl that likes him. Okay, fair enough. And then just to compare now, DVD, uh, what they have in uh, Oricon, which is the, basically the go-to source for rankings, they, they throw all animation in these categories. So you will get non-anime things get that rank as well, where you'll see a lot more uh, Western stuff will show up in the DVD rankings. And the other thing, it, it used to be very true. It probably is not as true now, but it used to be very true in anime specifically that male otaku bought Blu-rays and female otaku b- bought DVDs. Uh, that used to be uh, so. Anytime you had a show that was very popular with uh, female otaku, it would always rank high on the DVD charts. Uh, like Osumatsu san is a good example, uh, although that ranked very high on Blu-ray charts as well. But uh, so this week, Digimon Adventure again, Kizuna number one on the DVD charts. Grand Blue Fantasy. Uh, volume 7, number 2. Anna and the Snow Queen 2, which is a Disney. Uh, Pets 2, number 4, another Westerner. And then One Piece Log Collection Pudding. I have no idea what that is. Is number 5. Uh, and I also want to mention that um, only because it's... We'll go to number 6 here because My Neighbor Totoro is number 6 on the DVD list. And just just for the record... Miyazaki films never stop ranking in Japan. They are always Miyazaki films in the top 20 on the DVD list and often the Blu-ray list too. They, they're, that's they're, they're whatever Disney is in American animation popularity wise, Ghibli, especially Miyazaki is that and more in Japan. These things never stop ranking. They never stop being on television and drawing huge rate ratings People will never stop loving these. Uh, it's amazing how popular they are. And I also want to say for those of you who are on Twitter, there's a Twitter account featuring a cockatoo named Kira, uh, which I love because Kira is a bit of a performer. And one of the things Kira performs is the theme from Totoro. So, uh, Tonari no Totoro. So, if you want to see a cockatoo whistling the theme from My Neighbor Totoro, just search that out on Twitter. I'm sure you'll confi- sure you can find it. I've retweeted. We'll put it in the link. We'll put it in the description. (laughs) There you go. Kira is the, is the, uh, and it's funny because Kira has a friend, uh, another cockatoo who lives with Kira who uh, shows up in the videos sometimes, but never says anything. He just kind of stands there and looks dour, but Kira is always performing. Uh, Okay. So those are, that's our new feature, our weekly rankings from Japan. And if people are interested in that, we'll see about, I I like to keep doing that. I think it's interesting to know uh, what's popular here. As I mentioned, there was a point uh, for a couple of weeks where in the top 20 volume sales in manga, 19 of the top 20 spots were Kimitsu no Yaiba. Um, And I've never seen anything remotely like that happen in the manga rankings. It's astonishing how popular that series is. Um, But... Uh, be that as it may, another story I wanted to talk about is uh, the, well, there's actually two kind of in those of us who sort of want to follow what's going to be coming up in the anime world. One of the ways you do that is one of the leading indicators is like we have the Jump Festa online event uh, is coming up and they are going to have a short anime for the manga called Bokyaku Battery which is a baseball series. And one of the, the reason I want to mention this is not because of any particular connection I have with Bokyaku Battery, because I actually confess I haven't read it, but because uh, 
the the weekly or the Jump Fest special animations are often a leading indicator of what we'll be getting a full anime in the next year. So, Bokiaku Battery. Uh, anyone out there? Have you read? Do you know anything about Bokiaku Battery, Sitsuken? I have not. It sounds like a baseball. It thing, is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds exciting, and yeah, it's, it is worth noting, noting that I believe both Haikyuu and Bleach got Jump Festa specials before they became huge anime, so. Yeah, so uh, just be aware of this title. I'm going to research it a little bit more now that I know this is happening, uh, because uh, as I said, often when you see a series get a Jump Festa, Jump, Jump Festa special animation, that means the anime is coming, so we'll see, and I always love I always love to see uh, I always love to see more baseball anime and and then on that same note I wanted to talk about another series uh, which is getting a special promotional anime uh, which again special promotional anime are often precursors of real anime which is why I mentioned it this is the series Dead Dead Demons. Dead, 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 deconstruction or destruction, I should say. Dead, dead demons, day, 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 destruction. And this is by the uh, mangaka Asano Inio. And if you know that name, it's probably because you're familiar with Oyasumi Punpun, which is a very famous manga, quite well known in English as well, but also Japanese that never got an anime. Um, and it's extremely, extremely dark and very unusual and certainly something I recommend everyone read Oyasumi Punpun. It's a, it's an, it's a fascinating manga. It's the opposite of escapism. It's immersion. It, it's so, it's, it's so, it so immerses you in the pain of existence that it's the literal opposite to me of escapist entertainment, but it's it's a fascinating read, uh, and really, really uh, like no other manga you will ever see. And since it's almost impossible that it will ever get an anime because of the content and the style, uh, if you're ever going to experience Oyasumi Punpun, you have to read it. Now, as for uh, this series, Dead Dead Demons, Dead 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 Destruction, I haven't read this one. But the fact that it is getting this special promotional anime is probably a good indication that it, it might get an anime at some point in the future. And from what I've heard, this is a bit of a more conventional story. It would be impossible to be less conventional, I think, but a bit more of a conventional story than Oyasumi Punpun. Do you familiar with this one at all? Again, no, I haven't read this, but uh, looking through the article earlier, it seems like PC Maker Mouse Computer is doing this promotional video so that's interesting and apparently they're fans of it so if they're not traditionally like anime producers no so if this does get an anime it might be a different studio a different vibe yeah yeah that's entirely possible um but i'm curious now about this because as i said i am a big oisumi poon poon fan although i wouldn't recommend it as you know for a laugh but uh it's it's a very intelligent series and I like Asano's art style. It's very unusual. But one of the things he does in Oyasumi Punpun is he draws the character as like a, a, fra- a frail little bird-like figure rather than as a human being. And then as his as his psychology changes during the course of the series, his appearance changes. It's 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 hard to describe Oyasumi Punpun if you haven't read it. 
but I do want to give credit. Uh, this article on uh, Dead Dead Demon is by Jennifer Sherman at ANN. And also because I forgot to mention it, uh, Daryl Harding wrote the piece on Crunchyroll about uh, the uh, Bokyaku Battery series. So credit to Daryl Harding at Crunchyroll for that one. And this one is uh, Jennifer Sherman at ANN. So two series which are getting promo anime. Uh, Dead Dead Demon, the less likely of the two, but Bokyaku Battery, because of where that anime is showing up, seems like a pretty good bet to get an anime at some point. Also, it's affiliated with the Shueisha Shonen Jump family, which always gives it a better chance of getting an anime too, as you know. Uh, So there you go. Next story I want to talk about is uh, one of my absolute favorite series, um, which is Hozuki no Retetsu. And here's a story by Adriana Hazra in Anime News Network. And Hozuki, you know, you know, Setsuki and our friend Jake, the translator, Jake Jung, he's the one who translated uh, Hozuki no Retetsu. And you've seen Hozuki, yes? No, I have not actually. Oh, it's okay. Our podcast is over. Okay. Be- our podcast is over because I am officially excising my co-host from the podcast. Seriously, you've never seen Hozuki? No, I missed it, and then I just haven't had the time to go back uh, and catch up on it. It's on my short list of things I need to go back and watch. Well, okay, and you do because. Uh, but anyway, Hozuki is a is a is a is a comedy. And it's, it's really, really, it, it's about hell, basically. It's about Japanese hell and King Enma, but it's a comedy and it, it, it's extremely immersive in terms of really, really inside Japanese cultural humor and stuff, which is why I've often joked back and forth with Jake about how hard this series must have been to translate because without cultural context, a lot of the humor in this show is, is really, really hard to get. But it's just, it, it's one of those things, it reminds me of Monty Python. One of the, my hallmarks of great comedy is it can be highbrow and lowbrow, lowbrow at the same time, intellectual and stupid in, in hilarious ways simultaneously. Monty Python is probably the best ever example of that. And Hozuki definitely uh, fits that category as well. But Hozuki is getting released by Netflix India. So for our, our friends in, in India who listen to the podcast, Netflix is going to be... Uh, premiering Hozuki's Cool Headedness, as they call it in English, Hozuki no Tetsu on September 23rd. So uh, be aware of that. And uh, Hozuki has had uh, good, good, good exposure in the West. It's been licensed in England and in several European countries and in America as well. The manga has uh, three seasons of anime plus several OVAs, four OVAs, I believe. So um, this is this is a, just a series I'd like to really recommend to anybody. It's just it's just vastly entertaining. Uh, it 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 requires a little, if not knowledge of Japanese culture, at least an interest in Japanese culture. And I think one of the things that will happen if you watch Hozuki Setsuken is you'll see something on it, and it'll inspire you to Google that topic and learn more about it, which is something I always appreciate when an anime can do that for me. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Hozuki. So that's one of your homework assignments. Please go watch that. Uh, and that's on Crunchyroll for U.S. people, right? Yes, it, I'm almost sure it is. Yes, I'm almost sure it is. Yes, it is. Our next story is a sad one, although it does allow me to give credit to our third co-host, Rafael Antonio Pineda, who uh, wrote the story on it for Anime's News News Network. But it's a story you would have seen everywhere. 
Sadly, the uh, series Fumetsu no Anata A, which is known in English as To Your Eternity, which was squarely atop my expectations list for fall, has been uh, delayed, they say due to COVID-19, until spring of 2021. And uh, that sucks for me just in the sense of, uh, you know, I, I really really wanted to see this series and it's fine that it's coming out next year because you know we'll need good series next year's too but i really this is by the author of silent voice and uh really a good manga it was going to be it's going to be over at brains base with an interesting interesting staff uh no reason not to think this would be really good uh but we have to wait an extra six months for it so there you go uh, now I know you followed Silent Voice, right? I know you you read that and saw the film. Just saw the film. Okay, and, but have you read this manga at all? Uh, to your eternity, I have not. I am very excited, even though I wasn't like super high on a Silent Voice. It was it was a bit too much uh, heavy subject matter there. I'll just say that, not to spoil anything. It was a bit too heavy for me, but uh, I am excited. It was a uh, it was a good story. It was very powerful. And uh, see, I think it will do, this writer will do better with long form uh, storytelling. So the show having 20 episodes and everything, I'm excited to see how that does. Yeah, which is another reason why it sucks that it got delayed because I was really looking forward to the 20 episode thing. Um, so, you know, spring next year. It's odd that it would be announced so late that this was being canceled and for six months to boot. It could be because this is an NHK production and there may be TV time slot issues involved in this. That's that's entirely possible. Uh, the one thing I want to say, you made an interesting comment about the author being better with long form. Uh, I My answer to that is, yes, she, she is better with long form and she was better with long form in A Silent Voice because the manga was considerably longer than the movie uh the movie basically cut out about 70 percent of the story and uh the movie was fine for what it was but it's not the full series it's it's it basically eliminates 90 percent of the depth for all the supporting characters and just pretty much makes it a story about the main pair and i really liked some of the supporting characters and i liked some of the depth that their stories got in the manga especially the younger sister character who I thought had a great arc in the manga that pretty much ended up, you know, dead in the movie. You didn't get any of it. So, you know, if you, if the question, if you want to know whether the author, uh, Yoshitoki Oima, whether her, she's better with long form storytelling, just read the manga and you'll see how much better the manga is than the movie. In my opinion, uh, not that Kiyoani didn't do a good job with the part that they covered, but they only covered, 20 30 percent of the story so um, oh yeah. that has me excited okay that i might actually go and read after this why they chose not to make a series out of it i don't know it was a popular manga um certainly could have it would have been perfect actually for 13 episodes it's just the right length um i wonder if kyoani planned to do a canon 2006 thing because they there was a canon movie right and then they did a series later although the movie was from a different studio, I think. Yeah, it, it, the canon came out originally with, I think, Dean or somebody like that. Uh, I, one of the JC staff or Dean or somebody like that. And and it ended up 
getting remade. I don't think so. I think I think what you saw from a silent voice is what you're going to get. Uh, it, it just they chose to do it as a movie rather than a series for whatever reason. Who knows why? Um, but then you know it is what it is. Anyway, so Fumetsu uh, no Anata A still a series I'm highly highly looking forward to, but we're going to have to wait till uh, we're going to have to wait till spring of next year to see it. Um, so there you go. And now my next story is just a little fun aside. Those of you who do follow Twitter uh, may may be aware of this, but uh, this was mentioned in several places. There was a story by Kim Morrissey uh, over on ANN that talked about it. But Mob from Mob Psycho 100 was trending worldwide and in America this week. And uh, it was funny because the reason Mob was trending was because Eric Trump put out, uh, the president's son, put out a tweet um, saying Google was trying to manipulate American opinion by covering up mob activity or something. And as his evidence for this, uh, he pointed out that the first thing that came up on a Google image search for Mob was Mob. Uh, And I just thought this was pretty funny. And uh, soon afterwards, the official Mob Psycho uh, Twitter account came out with a tweet that said, hello, I heard I was trending with a nice smiling picture of Mob. And um, so, yeah, uh, it was this really made me laugh. It really made me laugh. Uh, Mob was trending worldwide because of Eric Trump. And um, one of the things that was really funny about this is uh, I was thinking to myself, well, Baron Trump, who is the president's youngest son, is known to be an anime fan. He may have actually just picked up his cell phone and called Eric and said, you know, the reason you saw that picture is because blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, maybe that happened. Maybe it didn't. Uh, but I just, you know, I love Mob. Uh, so I thought I thought this was pretty funny. Yeah, it was. And I think uh, Reagan, this seems like I think the Twitter uh, account missed an opportunity there by having Reagan respond and kind of like, you know, eat up all the PR because uh, that just seems like something that uh, that particular character in the franchise would be all about. Especially because they did set up a spirits and such a web pe- website for Reagan's uh, Reagan's agency, uh, which is quite a funny website. If you ever want to check it out, it's spirits and such dot com, I believe is what it's called. Uh, they could have they could have really gone to town on it there if they if they'd wanted to, um, but anything that gets mobs you know anything that gets mobs picture on the front page of Twitter is okay with me. So you know yeah he, that's, he, a, that's yeah, a fantastic series. He's a good boy. He deserves to have his picture uh, uh, on uh, on Twitter. So there you go. So uh, uh, politics and anime never never too far apart are they. Uh, so there you go. Another story I wanted to talk about is this time we're going to go to Otaku USA magazine. Uh, and Danica Davidson wrote the story over there. Uh, just for our Fruits Basket fans, the Fruits Basket Another, which was the sequel manga to Fruits Basket, uh, is ending, looks like, after about 13 chapters. Uh, and I actually have not been following Fruits Basket Another. Uh, I did finish the original Fruits Basket manga years and years ago because I didn't think that the anime would ever finish it. So uh, I kind of finished that series a long time ago. But I think one of the reasons why they revived the anime was to help to promote Fruits Basket Another. And so it's interesting that this is ending so quickly, actually. 
but there you go. So I, I, I know, uh, are you at all a Fruits Basket fan, Setsuken, old or new? Yes, I'm an old fan. So I loved the original series, went and read the manga. I think the manga, the original manga was pretty darn amazing um, at the time. I think when I watched the remake, it felt very wrong to me in a lot of ways. And then I ended up going and going back and watching the original series. And I definitely had some rose tinted glasses there uh, and a lot of nostalgia for the original series. So fruit baskets right now is in a really uh, fruit basket right now is in a really weird space for me where I'm kind of not watching the, the remake. And I honestly was very content with what we got in the original manga with the way everything concluded. So I, I wasn't interested in the spinoff and it, it, I felt about it the same way I felt about the card capter Sakura continuation, which is like, we really don't need this. Just stop, leave it alone and do something different. So that was kind of my whole thing about fruits basket. Yeah. Fruits basket is, is an interesting one really because you know, fruits basket, the original series by Akitaro Daichi, who is probably the most famous shoujo anime director of all time, it changed a lot. Uh, it changed a lot. And if you've read the manga afterwards, you know this. It changed a lot of stuff. And Takara-sensei, the, the mangaka, hated the original series. She hated the anime and because it changed things from the manga. And I respect the right of any mangaka to, to, to be resentful that their stuff has changed when they adapt it. However, it must be said that I find the original Fruits Basket story to be better than the manga story. Just my opinion. I think the changes that Akitaro Daichi made are mostly changes for the better. Uh, and I think what's happening, and I am following the new series and intermittently blogging it. It's a funny one for me that I'm intermittently blogging it, but I am because with Fruits Basket, it tends to be if it's about the characters I like or care about, I'm interested. And if it's about the other characters, I'm just completely indifferent. So um, she, one of the reasons I like the original anime so much is because he kind of glossed over a lot of the stuff that's in the manga that to me is not so great and concentrated on the stuff that's really good. And one of the things that happens in the manga, and you're seeing this in the anime, I think even more because it seems to be as a, almost in a way trying to over, overcompensate for the changes he made by focusing on the other stuff even more than the manga does. But it's just such a Yuki love fest. Uh, and I frankly find Yuki to be pretty tiresome as a character. I never liked him in the original series. I never liked him in the manga, and I don't particularly like him now. And the uh, the mangaka is so obsessed with loving him so much that it just becomes a bit of a drudge for me after a while. Uh, sorry to offend any Yuki fans out there, but I, that's just how I feel. He annoys the hell out of me at times. Are you sorry? I, I'm not sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you you hate you don't like Yuki either. Then I take it. No, and I I, I might might be misremembering, but given the ending. Well, let's not spoil for anybody. Let's not spoil for anybody. Yeah, I, I just, I don't remember that obsession, but maybe it's coming across more. I, I did want to say real quick before I give it back to you, I really enjoyed the humor in the original series, and I feel like the new series is just so straight shojo. I, I missed that 
charm and that whimsy and mm. that comedic effect that I think added a lot to what is pretty dire subject matter in some cases. Um, and it's 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 unfortunate that that was lost. And I think that's one of the reasons why I would even agree with you that the original anime was better than the manga. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I can't agree more. Uh, I think that the problem is most of that whimsy came from Akitaro Daichi. It didn't come from the manga. And because he saw that her series was so heavy that it needed some lightening up because otherwise it was just heavy after heavy after heavy after heavy after heavy. And he interjected a lot of humor. And I think that the tonal, the tonal variation was much better because of, because of his intervention. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, and you know, the characters I love, uh, you know, I, I love Kyo. I, I, I know he can be a pill sometimes, but I think he's great. I love Momiji, um, uh, Hiro and Kisa, you know, and they were much more significant in the first series and they're very much kind of, even Kyo, who you'd think, oh my God, he's the main romantic interest. He has to be, but he's sort of on the fringes even of the new anime. It seems like there are long stretches of time where he barely shows up. Um, wow. And it's because, you know, the mangaka writes, I've said this about uh, Suetsuku Sensei, the author of Chihai Fur, that she writes Arata as if, as if she's in love with him herself. And I kind of feel like that's how Takara writes uh, Yuki. She writes the character as if she's in love with him herself. And I, I just, I hate it when, when mangaka of either gender write that about characters in their, in their shows. You see a lot of male mangaka write that about female characters and it, it works both ways. And I, it, it just gets, gets annoying after a while. So all I can say is I agree with you hundred percent. I think your analysis of, of why the first anime worked so well is exactly right. Um, and I, okay, we'll jump ahead here. Uh, Furuba, you know, still watching it always an important place in my heart, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like there are times I just need a break from it. Uh, let's talk about, uh, a new story here that I know you wanted to mention, which is, um, the, uh, this is an interesting one, the, the Violet Evergarden second, second trailer. You're probably a bigger fan of Violet Evergarden than me. So I'll let you take the lead on this one. I just want to say, even though I'm not a huge fan of Violet Evergarden, that uh, I am glad to see Kyoto Animation more or less getting ramped up back to full speed production wise because Lord knows that's great for that's great for anime. But anyway, talk about Violet Evergarden. Yes, I love Violet Evergarden. I think it's uh, if you like Kyoto Animation's tearjerker, uh, and some people would maybe fairly so say emotionally manipulative stuff. Um, it's it's that distilled to its I think finest and most impressive form. So it's on Netflix. And one of the reasons why I think it wasn't the anime of the year, the year it came out was it came out a lot later in the U S on Netflix, but the first series was fantastic. 13 episodes of just pure emotion, I would say. And, uh, there's already a movie out on Netflix, which is actually a spinoff, but this one I think is the, the proper sequel to the, to the story. And so, it got delayed because of the fire that happened in Kyoto Animation, which was an absolute tragedy. I remember reading that and being bummed out for a whole week and obviously all the destruction and all the people and the talent that anime lost. So it, like you said, I, I just wanted to highlight this and I think you did as well because it's good to see Kyoto Animation, which I think is one of the studios that actually treats their animators fairly well compared to everybody else. 
them coming back and hopefully ramping up and um this uh this trailer that came out is hope uh is giving uh, filling me with a lot of hope because this is going to come out soon i think in japan and then probably six months later on netflix or something yeah uh it's coming out in it's coming out i think even this week or next week the 18th i think is when it hits and yeah, so I totally agree. Not not a Violet Evergarden fan myself. Didn't find the story engaging, although it, visually it's gorgeous. And yes, they are a studio that treats their their staff really well for the main reason that they have a training program in place for their staff. They mentor their staff and their employees as a, for the most part rather than contractors, which makes a huge difference. They're not getting rich off those jobs by any stretch of the imagination, but compared to the way uh you know in betweeners and other younger animators are treated by the industry as a whole kyoto animation is a absolute paragon of virtue so full kudos to them uh the war many people say and i'm inclined to agree the darkest day in anime history was the day of the kyoto animation fire uh so many wonderful talents so many so many people lost uh so much history gone fortunately they were able to uh, to to preserve the archives of most of the actual material. Thank God for that. But you know, the people we lost though, those people can never be replaced. And uh, you know, you know, whatever you feel about Violet Evergarden, great news to see Kyoto animation back on their feet and, and, and moving forward. So, you know, thank you for calling this to my attention. And that seems like as good a place as any to wrap up our news section this week. However, not to wrap up our anime chat, because, you know, we have other things to talk about besides the news. Okay, now it's it's time to shift gears a little bit. And the last couple of deep dives we've taken have been more in terms of specific types of series or specific series. I wanted to do something a little more industry-related this time and talk about the idea of gatekeepers. Gatekeepers is something you hear talking about. You hear talked about in in fandoms all all the time, and anime being no exception. I, I don't particularly care for gatekeepers or gatekeeping. I think it's an overused term, but as such, the term is is more or less you have to pass a certain threshold of whatever it be geekery or purity or whatever the case may be, or else you can leave your fandom at the door. Now. My specific reason to want to talk about this topic this week is I've seen a growing trend in anime in the last couple of years that does bother me. And it seems to have it seems to have paired itself off with some some broader trends socially, culturally in in many parts of the world that we've seen in non anime and even non entertainment parts of society. But specifically with entertainment, you can call it a kind of anti-intellectualism or call it whatever you want. But what I've seen in in the last couple of years is that if you step up and lend your voice to criticize the thematic contraction of anime, in other words, too many of a certain type, uh, a certain type of adaptation, a certain type of theme certain type of genre dominating and not getting as many other things. There's been a pushback in the last couple of years of people saying, oh, you know what, you're just, you know, you're, you're, 
you're a gatekeeper because you're demanding a certain kind of thing and and you you know you're you're being discriminatory against be they isekai or cute girl shows whatever it is saying that those aren't you know those aren't art or whatever blah 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 if you're asking for more artistic or more ambitious or more creative stuff then then you're just trying to stifle you know you're just trying to stifle our voices and i think it's actually just the opposite i think what's happening here is that people who are stepping up and asking for for more tonal diversity, asking for more different types of genre series, uh, are are being shouted down as being. I think what is effectively happening is their voices are being are are at least people are trying to silence their voices because they're saying that they're not legitimate to ask for those things. And and it's not a question to me of saying. An isekai series is not anime, shouldn't be anime, that there shouldn't be isekai series, there shouldn't be cute girls doing cute things series. The problem is when you stand up and say there should be more kinds of series, that's when you get shouted down and, and that's where the gatekeeping is coming in. And, and that's been a perception I've had, I've seen grow in anime in the last couple of years. Setsuken, what are your thoughts on this? Do you, do you have you, perception, have, have you seen this at all? Yes, I have. And I think I've been on both sides of the coin, right? So I was one of the people who, for the longest time, didn't like your opinion on this. It's an opinion, so I think you have the right to have it. But I definitely do sometimes see the other side of it where, you know, I enjoy the isekai every now and then, and and, and I enjoy those things. And there is a, a kind of visceral-like reaction to when you say you know isekai is the problem and i but at the same time too much of anything is bad and i think for me i've come from a spot where when i was in high school going back a little bit and and i promise this this little story will point to something important but in high school i i ran an anime club with a bunch of my friends right and back then the big goal for me was to get more people into anime because there's a very small group of people in my social circle circle in Pakistan that watched anime. And when we did that, it was always the resistance to anime being like too childish, too kiddish. People looked at it as cartoons. And for me, we would use something like Death Note or, you know, uh, something that could appeal to a wider audience but still feel mature and adult. Uh, we would use Ghost in the Shell and, you know, sci-fi to kind of get people into it. And flash forward like 10, 20 years now, almost. And it's a very different situation where anime has become fairly mainstream compared to then. And now people want to... Uh, the, the kind of stuff that's popular is more basic and um, more simple. And I think... The re uh, what's interesting to me and why I think I respect you and why I think your opinion is really important is because a lot of the people that I grew up with that got me into anime and exposed me to a lot of things have stopped watching anime now. They the anime isn't for them anymore. The people who really loved sci-fi, um, who didn't like high school romance, um, who liked the more mature adult stuff. They don't have anything to watch anymore. And so there's two types of people left in anime. The people who will soldier on and find value in what is there. Um, and I'm talking about old people who've been watching anime for a long time. And the people who 
um, missed the old stuff and want it back. And I think I am one of those people now that want it back. For for a while, I was content with the change. You know, I was like, okay, sci-fi is just changed form. And that's how it started, right? Sci-fi became less hard sci-fi or less steampunk or sorry, cyberpunk. And it became more kind of, you know, high school oriented. And then slowly Moy came into the picture. And now it's gotten to the point where it is getting very homogenous. So I think as people who've seen, I think the people who resist this, this whole thing of we should have more tone diversity are the people who also probably haven't seen a lot of the old stuff. Well, that's an interesting point, and and uh, but the, the larger issue for me is I just want more stuff. I want more different kinds of things, and I'm asking for more. And the people who are gatekeeping are asking for less, and they're saying that if you if you if you're not satisfied with the status quo, you're an elitist. And here's here's where I say this ties into a larger social trend. When you call someone someone an elitist, you're being an elitist. That's that's the truth of it. You're shouting them down. You're trying to silence them because they disagree with your point of view. So that is elitism. That is the definition. There's an ironic. There's an irony there. But shouting someone down for being an elitist is being an elitist. You're saying what we have is great. If you don't like it, you 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 don't you don't you're not up to snuff. You don't deserve to be heard. So shut the fuck up. I think that's really what it comes down to. And that's the gatekeeping I see is this, this, the E word elitism that you, that you see tossed around at people. And it, this is not a phenomenon that's, that's limited to anime in, in, in the world as we live in it today, but in anime, it certainly finds a, it finds a roost because of what we've seen of the contraction of the medium to fewer and fewer different styles, fewer and fewer different genres. And uh, this is another thing that I think is important to mention is false equivalency. Lord knows we see false equivalency uh, in the media, in the news, in politics. We, we see this happen as a, as a big thing nowadays. But all the reality is all, all series, all styles, all genres – all demographics, they're all different. It's a vast rainbow of Hakuna Matata. It's all wonderful. But if we can't say a certain thing is is objectively or at least subjectively better than another thing, what's the point of even what's the point of even discussing? Uh, and and I I think it's I think it's objectively true that more diversity in a, in an entertainment medium is better than less. I think, I, I don't think that's being elitist. I think that's being the opposite of elitism. In fact, is saying the more different kinds of viewers are catered to by anime, the better it is for anime. And the problem right now is that fewer and fewer types of viewers are being catered to because anime is getting more and more risk averse and production committees are getting more and more stifling in the effect they have on what kind of shows are made. And, um, you know, we could say this is, this is the nature of criticism to me is an interesting question, whether you're a movie critic an anime critic, whatever kind of critic you are, just a critical person. Can I not say that Citizen Kane is a better movie than Weekend at Bernie's 2? Am I not allowed to say that? Uh, it's an objective, 
is it, it's a subjective opinion to say one movie is better than another. But if I can't say Citizen Kane is better than Weekend at Bernie's 2, what's the point in even being a critic? What's the point in even having a discussion about a medium? I think that's a real problem. So uh, I have a question for you, and I think sure. this this is something that popped into my head as you mentioned movie critics as well. Um, do you think that the people, the majority, let's say, because I think you and I are the minority here, right? We're the people. I'm confident of that. Okay. So do you think these people, because they haven't seen a lot of stuff, because they're, and, and I might be elitist in saying this, but I still want to ask the question, is it because they haven't seen stuff that they're content with it? Like, look at a movie critic versus a general viewer, right? A movie critic will see way more movies than the average viewer. So when a movie critic, because they have all that, all those experiences to draw from, and obviously as you watch more anime, you compare it to all the other stuff that you've seen, something that might be derivative to you might be completely new to a certain person because they just haven't seen the five other shows that did the same thing except better. Um, is that potentially why that gatekeeping is happening? Cause there's so many new people coming into anime and for them, this thing that they discovered is, wow, this is really good. I really like it. And then there's a bunch of older people who to them seem like the elitists because, you know, they've been watching anime for a long time and they're saying, no, 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 you don't understand. This isn't what anime has to offer. And even though we're right for them, it's like, well, I like what I'm getting here. Why, why, why are you, why are you attacking what I like? And I think maybe that is the reason that that gatekeeping is existing. Because, because what I'm interested in is why people behave the way they do, especially sure. in Western media. And do you think that that might be part of it, perhaps? Yes, I absolutely do think that's part of it. And and you know, I have a friend who who's not a movie critic, but works in the entertainment industry and is a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. So they get to go to free screenings like pretty much whenever they want. And he has a notebook on his uh, dining room table, along with, uh, uh, you know, a, a dozen jigsaw puzzles half finished and a, and a bunch of other things. But he has a notebook on his table, a big, you know, college bound notebook. And he writes every movie that he sees and a little star next to the ones he really likes. And I sometimes just go and look at his notebook and look at the date and look at the, and this is a person who's seeing north of 200 movies a year and in theaters. And um, the fact of the matter is that's a person that's going to have a different sort of opinion about a movie than someone like me who sees, you know, a 10th of that at best. Uh, and I love movies. I see more movies than the average person and I saw probably see a 10th of that. So um, its context is important, and and he has a context that allows him to 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 it allows him to to take what he sees and and assign it to where it sort of probably fits in the lexicon of of movies. You know, these are the influences. You know, th- this is this is this is kind of where this is generated from. This is well executed. This is not as well executed. That doesn't mean he's right and I'm wrong, but he has he has a context that I don't have. Right. Um, what I think you're talking about in anime is, I think that we we've had the chicken and the egg syndrome, the cart before the horse, whatever you like. Basically, anime has pretty much pretty much spawned an audience now that that they they the entire industry is 
set up to cater to what they like. And so you have people who have very specific sets of tastes who don't seem to like a lot of stuff that falls outside that very specific set of tastes and the entire anime industry or 90% of it, the whole production, the whole production machinery, the apparatus is designed to cater specifically to what they want. And if you're in that group, well, yeah, sure. Why wouldn't you be happy? Right? You're getting exactly what you want. You have an entire industry that you love that's basically, you know, that's basically giving you anything you want. And so why would you be agitating for change if that were the case? The problem is, you know, there are other people out there and anime used to be a big enough tent to, to cater to all those people. And manga still is, by the way, as this is something you've heard me harp on before, but it's true. Manga still is a big tent. Manga still, if you love isekai, if you love cute girls, girls doing cute things, you know, manga's great for you. You've got all the manga you could ever want. You're, you're well taken care of. But guess what? So am I. I have the stuff I want to see too. And if I want to, you know, I have a pretty varied taste. And if I want to read something in a different style every day for a month, I got no problem doing it. There's plenty of series for me. And manga's in health, good health, in spite of that fact. You don't have to go around saying, no, I don't want you to have series that cater to you. I only want series that cater to me. And that's kind of what I feel like is happening in anime right now, is you have people saying, I want enough variety so that everyone is taken care of. And you have people who are kind of frankly spoiled because they're getting everything they want in more quantity than they need it saying, no, you know, I don't want only 50% of the 25 isekai shows I get every season because one of those extra 12 might be pretty good. I want them all for me. I don't want anyone else to have anything. I want all of it. And that's unhealthy. It's unhealthy it, to me, it's unhealthy for the viewer because they're not expanding their horizons. And it's certainly unhealthy for the industry. And I think it's one of the reasons why, as we've talked about, and many inside the anime industry itself have said this, the long-term prospects for the industry are kind of in trouble uh, because this is unsustainable. Because guess what? Audiences are fickle. And, uh, you know, when, you know when, when the little spinning wheel moves on to the next thing, and you can't deliver anything besides the stuff that's on yesterday's news, you're screwed. And uh, this will happen to anime eventually. In fact, there are signs that it already is happening. But, um, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes. Has anime qualitatively, and again, it's the question of Weekend at Bernie's versus Citizen Kane, but has anime qualitatively gotten worse over the last 10 to 15 years? Yes, I would say absolutely it has. And the, the the basic the biggest reason for it, in addition to the economic concerns of of the of the studios being starved of money by production committees, is is contraction of the thematic diversity of the medium. So that's a long way of saying, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, and I but I think it goes even beyond what you're saying. I think it's they're getting every whim catered to, and they don't want. It's like use another example. Um, if I'm an atheist and you're, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you know, you're Catholic or, you know, you're Episcopalian and I'm Jewish, whatever the case may be, um, you can say, oh, it's great. You, you, you know, you believe or don't believe what you want to believe. I'll believe or don't believe what I, I want to believe. 
or you can say no you should you shouldn't be allowed to believe something different than me or to not believe you should believe only the same things everyone should believe the same things i believe and if they don't believe it they should not have any rights and I, to, to a certain extent, and that may be a bit of an extreme example, but I think that's the same kind of idea of what we're talking about. And I think um, what you're saying is true, but I think, well, I don't want to get too much into religion, but there's always been r- religious zealots in every religion that believe, and it's it's more of an arrogance thing in the person that they believe that they're right and they want to prove everybody wrong. But one of the things, as you were talking about this, one of the things that came into my mind was the comic book industry in the West. And I think that is a very good example of what anime is going towards in a bad way, because majority of comic books in the West are superhero stuff, right? And it's the same stories with the same characters. I think it's even worse in some ways than anime because Batman and Spider-Man and Superman and Wonder Woman have been going on for 75 years. I think Batman had his 75 anniversary, and I love Batman. But the the character hasn't been able to grow or change because the, the readers that love that character refuse to accept change. And I think uh, another, another fandom that I think I remember is uh, Star Wars fans. There's some of the ones that I've known in my, in my life have been some of the most obnoxious people that I've ever talked to. And I'm not saying all star Wars fans are obnoxious, but there's that, there's that sense. I think uh, in, in a lot of these kinds of fandoms where it is very much, I'm in my particular space. I'm very comfortable in that space. And I don't want you to take away my toys. Right. Which, which is, which points to that spoiled thing that you were talking about. But is it also because, um, and this is where I'm leading with this, is it also because as human beings as a whole, we're afraid to try new things? Like, is 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 it because since anime became that big, we've had we've reached a critical mass of people, and those and there will always be more people that want to stay in the known and the comfortable and don't want to try new things? Well, well, sure, that's human nature, but the problem is. The problem, I, I don't think that's never, I don't think that's ever not been true. The problem, though, is that anime has allowed itself to become so narrow that it, it can't get out of the box it's created for itself. And that didn't used to be the case. It, it, there, you know, people always were comfortable with the things they're comfortable with, but there was enough different kinds of things out there that anime could cater to different kinds of people who are comfortable in their own, in their own, in their own zone, you know, stay in your lane, if you will. People like to stay in their lane. Well, there are anime fans who like to change, to change lanes and I'm one of them, but we don't have to be the majority. The problem was anime used to be a super highway with a lot of different lanes. And no matter what your tastes were, you could find a lane. Now it's basically a one lane country road. And if you're not in that lane, you know, pull over. Um, and, and that's the problem is, is, is not that what you say is true because it certainly is, but that it's, it's, it's now become the raison d'etre of the industry is that that's the whole industry is people being afraid to do anything besides what they're comfortable with. And you have an audience that doesn't want to go outside its comfort zone and you have a production committee system that doesn't want to go outside its production, its comfort zone. And its comfort zone is something where they figure, oh, this is the best chance to make money because we know we have an audience who has this comfort zone. 
Yeah, and I think that points to what I think is the real issue. And 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 unfortunately, whenever I think about this, I get a little depressed because this is outside of the audience's hands, honestly speaking. It's the people who write the checks, the business people. They have to take a risk to get a big a reward. And one of the things that I like to compare it to is video games because video games is a medium where we have two uh, different things that I think kind of encapsulate what we're talking about. There's Microsoft and there's Sony, right? And Sony, ironically, is a Japanese, it's a multinational company, but they're very Japanese in a lot of ways. And what Sony does really well with its PlayStation offering is that they do what you say. They create a lot of different experiences for different groups. And that's why they have been the largest selling console this past generation, because it's not just, you know, we have the best games, we have the best different type of games on our system. And uh, people may argue that, you know, the games themselves aren't that good, but at least they target different audiences, whereas Microsoft uh, have only been targeting like shooter fans and stuff like that. So I I guess I'm the, the thing that I think I'm most confused by and i wish maybe we need to get like a a business person here is what better data can you have other than the fact that you know there is an industry that is like in your own country that is succeeding by doing the very thing that you're not doing mm. well uh that's 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 a good point and um i would love to have uh, someone from the industry on here and uh you know you're right we you can't we this all started with a talk about gatekeeping and i think gatekeeping is a fan problem but at the same time the larger industry problem that we're talking about is an industry problem you can't expect you can't expect an evolution in anime fandom if if the if the industry itself doesn't do anything to instigate it uh, I think the only way, and we've talked about this already in a couple of our previous shows, the only way this changes is when the current model stops being financially productive. And as many in the industry, like, uh, you know, like Ano Hideaki and other big name anime people, many of them uh, say will happen and is in fact already happening in, in some instances. So, and it will happen and we've talked about it. And uh, the fix is, unfortunately... A collapse and what comes after the collapse is really the big question, but the collapse is pretty much inevitable. I think in the past we've made it clear. We both feel that that is something that's going to happen. Um, and you know, you hate to see it, but I think that's where we're going. And, uh, the question again will be what, what anime emerges after the current model proves to be unsustainable and collapses like the house of cards that it is. It's actually already lasted longer than I expected it to, to be honest, this bubble. Um, but bu- yes. bubbles burst. Yes, they do. So before we wrap this up, I do want to ask you a related question, because I think this is something that's been on my mind, and I'm curious to get your take on it. Do you watch Western media, like Western TV shows, stuff on Netflix, live action stuff? Some, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I watch some, sure. Do you think there's also been a decline there? Um, like, uh, let me let me say specific things. I don't see as many sci-fi TV shows as I used to. I don't see as many sitcoms as I used to. I don't see as many good thrillers as I used to. 
So, um, and one of the reasons um, I remember this was 10 years ago now, so a decade ago, I remember when the first group of people that I used to watch anime with, when they left, one of the things they said was, you know, American television has leveled up a lot more. And this is when Lost was airing, when Prison Break was airing, um, when How I Met Your Mother was airing. These, This was, the, I, I guess, the second wave of a bunch of good shows. And I feel like even in media in general, there's a stagnation that's happening. Um, and I mean, anime is indicative of that as well. But do you agree with that? Do you think that entertainment as a whole is perhaps stagnating and declining? I don't think you can, at least for me, I can't answer that question because entertainment as a whole is is too big. There's Because here's what I think. American movies, yes, absolutely. Uh, and I think you, you see a lot of happening. You talked about the comic, American comic industry. There's a definite connection here because, uh, you know, Marvel Comic Universe has never been more dominant in in theatrical film in the United States, Hollywood films. But if you look at the Hollywood, and obviously this year is a bit of a washout because of, you know, COVID. But over the last couple of years, if you look at the production docket in Hollywood, the the number of things that aren't either sequels or adaptations of comic books or currently popular novels has never been smaller. And I, it is, to me, a similar problem to what you're seeing in anime, really. It's it's a narrowing of the thematic. You're seeing less and less original stuff, uh, again, because the industry is becoming more risk-averse. And ironically, American comics are a big contributing factor to this problem because of the popularity of these superhero movies. Uh, in fact, Scorsese got in big trouble for pointing this out, a couple a year or so ago, I remember he made a comment and it was perhaps inelegantly worded, but he got in a lot of trouble for that by ironically the same sort of gatekeepers, I think, that I've been talking about in anime. But in fact, I should have really led with that because that would have been a perfect example of it is what happened with Scorsese and the gatekeepers. But the next part of the thing I would say is maybe not as much so as a couple of years ago, but I actually think that television has has never been better. Because what you have in television is the opposite effect. There's so many avenues now for TV to be produced. You know, TV used to be basically in 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 the UK, it would be the BBC and, uh, you know, one or two other independent networks. And in America, you had ABC, NBC, CBS, and then eventually Fox joined and that was a big deal, blah, blah, blah. But there's so many places for TV to get made now between Netflix and YouTube Prime and Amazon and all these other places, HBO was really the pioneer of this, but all these places where stuff can get made with less editorial interference than in, on network television. Uh, so I think actually, you know, I find a lot of good, I find a lot of good TV to watch, uh, you know, in the last year, Picard, The Mandalorian, Always with Stranger Things, you know, stuff like Shit's Creek, which I think is really funny. I mean, Sitcoms are definitely past their peak because sitcoms were uh, mainly a network television animal. And I don't think, I think they have passed their prime. Although you still get stuff like um, The Good Place, you know, which is, but the, I think The Good Place is more of a, an exception than a rule now. But in terms of hour long stuff and drama and political thrillers and even science fiction to an extent, I actually think that Western TV, I'll, I'll go beyond American TV to include, you know, like British and Australian TV too, especially British. 
I think actually that Western TV is in a pretty good place right now. Movies, yes, absolutely, contracting big time creative problems. But I actually still think the peak was maybe a couple of years ago, but I still think that Western TV is in a pretty good place because it's so easy to get stuff produced. There's so many different places you can go to get TV made as compared to how it was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I I, I don't know if, I guess for me, maybe the stuff that I like has been less and less. And I, I, I will go on record in saying I haven't seen Stranger Things yet. I'm saving that one for the rainy season. But I, I remember Breaking Bad and, you know, stuff on Showtime as well. Um, a lot of that, I guess I haven't seen a good, like, really good. I'm talking like something like Game of Thrones back when it was in its prime that's broken into the mainstream in a while. Um, mm. And uh, for anime, I think we still get those. So um, like Picard, you said Picard was uh, from uh, my wife, who's a really huge Star Wars fan. She was not impressed with that. I, I Star mean, Trek. She liked the. Oh, sorry. Star Trek. Sorry. Just that's a hot button issue. I want to make sure we get that clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't send us your emails. Yes, yes. Um, she is a huge Star Trek fan. Um, not a Star Wars fan, actually. Uh, and she did not find that season very good past the first episode. Hmm. Uh, she felt like there's... I, I, and I, I can't comment on it because I haven't seen it, but uh, I did see the original Star Trek and Star Trek Deep Space Nine when I was a kid. Um, but I didn't watch Picard yet, and I have I wasn't impressed with the... Did you watch that other Star Trek program that came out a while ago? No, Picard Picard is really the only Star Trek series I've watched in the last probably eight or ten years. But I will okay. say for the record that I really like Picard. Uh, I, I agree it's not perfect, but I think it has some really, really strong elements. I think if I am a, both a Star Trek and a Star Wars fan, although not like a mega, mega fan, um, more a Star Wars fan probably than a Star Trek fan, but I love Star Trek The Next Generation. I love Picard. So I, I thought that was a good continuation of his story. I think the Mandalorian was great, but the problem with the Mandalorian is it's really the only thing Disney has put out in the Star Trek universe that's been any good at all. The rest of it is all right, garbage. I agree. But the Mandalorian was really good. Um, Stranger Things, you know, I, you can't comment if you haven't seen it, but you know, don't diss modern sci-fi if you haven't seen Stranger Things because Stranger Things does some really, really good stuff. But I mean, you've also got stuff like Sneaky Pete, which is great. And my Mind Hunter, which is a great show. Uh, I just think there's a lot of really good, really challenging Western TV being produced right now. Even if you love Breaking Bad, what about Better Call Saul? You know. Um, yeah, and I think for a lot of the things that you mentioned, I've seen a lot of those exceptional first seasons, and then they start to peter off. In my well, opinion, that's an opinion. I, you know, some shows I agree, not necessarily the ones I just mentioned, but just some shows I agree with that. Um, Mindhunter, by the way, is another one I would strongly, strongly recommend. It's, it's a, I think it's a, no, it's Netflix. It's not, it's a Netflix show. Do you know this yes, one at all? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, yes, I have. I love that show. I think it's so brilliant. It's so dark. It's so challenging. Um, you know, you don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but I, I think that's a great show. So I guess my fundamentally disagreement with you would still be, I still think Western TV is pretty healthy and with a lot of generic, a lot of genre and tonal diversity, thematic diversity. So as compared to anime and movies, at least I, I would say Western TV is in better shape. I, I think I disagree with you there, but okay. that might be because I've just not seen enough stuff. 
I personally feel like the high points of anime are still, for me, better. There are very few now, but when the high point comes, anime seems to succeed. And I think that bubble that we keep talking about, that will burst when the high points stop appearing at all. Because that's what saves anime, I think. Uh, and even to the naysayers, right? That's what what maybe makes people think, well, we're okay, you know? When you get your Promised Neverland or you get your, I don't know, what was a really good series? Name X series that was Vinland. really good. Yeah, Vinland Saga. Vinland Saga is a really good example. Or, you know, Attack on Titan, which is more popcorn-y, but whatever. When, when you're maybe a casual anime fan and you're only consuming the big stuff, you probably don't see the problem here, right? You probably just say, you know, this stuff is really good. And I think once those series either disappear or it's like one or two of them a year, because I think there's more than one or two good series a year still. Barely. Um, barely, but 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 still. I think when that disappears is when I think we'll see some change. Well, I disagree because I don't think those series are sustaining the bubble because they're not making any money. And there's no Vinland Saga sequel uh, you know, I mean, stuff like I don't actually think the Promised Neverland is all that great, but yeah, the Weekly Shonen Jump series they they do fine. But like Vinland Saga couldn't get a sequel, Jibaku Shonen couldn't get a sequel. Um, I think the bubble bursts when when the the fandom for uh, the Isekai and the cute girls doing cute things outgrows it and moves on, and those those stop sustaining. Uh, the industry financially. That's when I think the bubble's going to burst. For casual fans, it bursts when the one or two or three really great shows a year that we love go away. Um, those are, as I've said, like the like the great shot you hit on the 18th hole after playing a terrible round of golf that keeps you coming back. Those are what those Vinland Chagas sagas are. For us, for uh, for us serious hardcore fans who love quality anime, and for the casual fans, maybe that's when their bubble bursts. But for the industry itself, financially. I think it's when the Muk Isekai and Mick Cute Thing shows, when they stop being reliably financially successful, that's when I think their bubble bursts. Okay. Uh, I, I know we're running long, but I do want to ask one more thing since sure. you mentioned it. Is it confirmed that Vinland Saga isn't getting another season? No, but it's nothing has been announced. So, um, But that might be wit, right? Because you just made my heart sink a little could bit. Be. Could be. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely hope so because... I expect Vinland Saga to be the next thing that Wit does now that they're off of Attack on Titan. And I mean, they've had some success with Great Pretender. I hope they have with Great Pretender, but we'll find out. I no, that, that show's done well. It's ranked very high on Netflix um, stream stream charts for Japan. I don't know how it's doing in the West, but it's hard for me to imagine that show not doing pretty well in the West, considering what kind of a show it is. But it did very well in Japan. I think it's doing fine for them. Um, and plus Netflix pays them enough money up front that any show that's Netflix produced for the, for the, for the production committee, the studio, it's going to be, it's going to be no worse than decent because of what they get paid up front. Um, yeah, uh, you know, um, Vinland could happen. I mean, I'm not saying it's never going to happen, but the fact that it wasn't announced like immediately is not a great sign. May there were hints of it. There were rumors. The director himself seemed to sort of hint at it, but and it could be, as you said, a wit thing now that they're off, but they're off Shingeki. So, you know, they do other things, but they could theoretically have made some kind of an announcement. 
Um, I certainly hope it happens because it's the best show anime has put out in the last two years, in my opinion. So, um, and the manga from what everyone tells me, well, not everyone, but the majority of the people who have read the manga tell me that actually the best part has not even been adapted. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've read the manga. I, I think I've read probably a season or two ahead. Yeah. Um, and that's where I stopped. And yes, the best is yet to come. Which as great as Askeladd is as a character, it's almost hard to believe, but that's what everyone seems to believe. So I, I yes, I would say if I was a betting man, I'd say 40% chance that that gets another season. But I think if it had been produced 10 years ago, it would have been a lock. It would have been immediate. And that's the problem is it gets harder and harder for good shows to get get produced in the first place and when they do get produced it's harder and harder for them to get continuations but you know we'll see we you know this is a topic believe me i'm confident that the health of the anime industry is is not we're not putting this to bed this is a topic that will come up again in our in our conversations in future i don't think there's any question about it okay so that is our topic of the week and uh again uh just to be clear these are two guys giving their opinions but uh we'd love to hear from you not on the whole star trek star wars thing we didn't mean to have any controversy we apologize but other than that we definitely love to hear from you send us your send you know give us your comments uh you know either be on youtube or or on our websites wherever you happen to be following these these podcasts we'd love to hear from you on this uh and uh as this is my week to host you know i have other things i like to talk about too so let's move on to one of those Okay, on to happier stuff and what may in fact be my favorite part of the broadcast, which is uh, Manga Recommendation Corner. Yay! Because manga is great and unlike anime, manga is super, super diverse and healthy and hopefully anime gets back to that point at some point soon. Uh, So I could recommend really, really popular and easy to access manga, but I like to uh, recommend some manga that maybe are a little more obscure and this week I'm recommending a manga called Flat by uh, Aogiri Natsu. Uh, this is a series that has been licensed under the name Flat in Italy, of all places, which is I find kind of interesting. Although Italy is very big on uh, shoujo manga. And I believe that, if I'm not mistaken, Flat was published in a, uh, in a shoujo magazine, although... It's really more to me of a almost a sign-in than shoujo. It's definitely not a shoujo in in the classic sense of what people think of uh, Rose of Versailles or something like that. It's definitely not that style of shoujo. So basically, with Flat, we have a story about uh, a high school student named Hiske and the relationship with his little cousin Aki, who's about five years old, and. So it, it, it's it's absolutely, if you want to talk about Slice of Life, yes, this is absolutely a Slice of Life series. Slice of Life is a vastly overused term, but it applies to flat, absolutely. And it's really about this developing relationship by this high school kid who, you know, he does he's not like a mean person. He doesn't dislike his little nephew, but um, he, or his cousin, I should say. But, you know, he he's 17 years old. He's just not anxious to be burdened with a five-year-old boy to hang around with all day. And they have this growing relationship that's really genuine and really kind of, kind of beautiful. And if you, Heisuke, if you can imagine uh, who's, if you can imagine a mix 
uh, between the two main characters of Tanaka Kunwa Itsuru Keteruge, uh, the, between the two best friends who are at the center of that show, that's Heisuke. He's like half of one, half of half of the other. He's kind of lazy and likes to hang around and do nothing, but he also really loves sweets and he loves to bake. Um, so, and that's the whole story, really. And it, it it's hard to sell beyond that, except that as you watch the relationship between Aki and Heisuke develop over the course of the series. It's just, it's really fun. It's funny. It's charming. And there are other characters that get involved, other family members and Heisuke's friends at school. And Aki has a couple of friends as well who factor into the story. One of them is the younger brother of one of Heisuke's friends. But it's really just mostly watching the two of them and the charm in in their relationship and Heisuke growing as a person as he becomes sort of uh, Aki's idol, if you will. And because, you know, Aki being five years old, Heisuke being this big, tall, 17-year-old cousin, he 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 adores him, he looks up to him, he worships him. So uh, it's a really fun, it's a really great story. And I believe, uh, Setsuken, I believe you've, you've, you've sampled a bit, haven't you? Yeah, I actually went through and during one of our intermissions while we record, because we don't talk uh, for like whatever the period of the podcast is straight, we take a little bit of a break. I actually went through and read this, the first chapter of it, and... Man, I have to say, it's really good. It's it just a premise sold me on it. And I wish we had this in the US because I want to support it and I want to buy it. And it I'm jealous of our Italian friends here that get this. So yeah, I would highly recommend reading it as well. I'm probably going to try and uh, maybe import it from Italy or something just to support it. I do stuff like that sometimes. I've done it for um, stuff I like in Japan. If I if I read something and if I really like it and I can't get it, if I can get it somehow officially, I'll at least get a volume or two and support the the original creator. So the fact that I'm after one chapter, I'm willing to go through and read, I think it's eight volumes or something. Yep. Just eight volumes. Yeah. It's just eight volumes. It's not super long. It won't take you forever to read it. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I, obviously this is another one on my recommendations list. that's never going to get an anime. But, uh, you know, the manga itself ended, I think, maybe six or seven years ago. So but it, it, it it's one of those manga stories that's totally worthwhile on its own. And um, as I said, the main character, he's a little bit of a cold fish to start. Uh, but as you get into the story, he he opens up. And one of the reasons he opens up is because of Aki. I mean, it's because it's because he has to become. Uh, this mentor figure to his to his little cousin. Uh, it just really emotionally honest series with a very good radar for what makes people tick, I think. Uh, so highly recommended. Another one that I'm guessing maybe some of you have never heard of, uh, Flat by Arginatsu. And uh, go ahead and support the, support the Italian license or import a raw copy too if you want to support the author. There you go. And that takes us one step closer to uh, to the end. But uh, we still have, of course, some other things that we like to do on Anime Chat and maybe one or two new things as well. One anyway. So let's see. Let me think about a new idea. What would we like to try that we haven't done before? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I have an idea. Let's try something. And you better like it or else something will happen to you. What will happen to them if they don't like it, Setsuken? Um, they better, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing this again. <laughs> okay, let's, I'm going to put myself on the spot. Is that okay with you? 
Yeah, yeah, I totally okay with uh, somebody else getting on the hot seat. All right, so to speak. I'm gonna let's do something. Uh, we'll just throw this out there as an experiment. I'm gonna call this Enzo's Haiku Challenge. Okay, uh, and the idea here is. Um, I want because one of the things I like to do when I hang out with friends and we're hiking or whatever is sometimes just have them throw throw a topic at me and I have to come up with a haiku on the spot. Uh, and a haiku, if you're not aware, is in English we would say five seven five syllables. It's not exactly that, but that's the closest you can come to because Japanese doesn't have syllables per se. But five seven five syllables. So let me put you on the spot in the extent that you have to give me. Uh, the little improv moment here. You have to give me the topic and then I have to come up with a haiku. So I'll throw it over to you, Satsuken. What is my haiku going to be about? Oh, you're going to hate me, but I'm okay. going to be mean and say, write a haiku or speak a haiku, I guess, in this case, compose one about isekai. Isekai. Okay, let's see. Isekai. Isekai, they suck. But that's just one man's Opinion. Your views may vary, I guess. No, that's no good. That's too many syllables. Okay. Isekai, isekai. Let's see. Isekai. Isekai are Isekai are. Isekai do suck. Okay. Isekai do suck. But that's just one man's viewpoint. Okay. Isekai do suck. But that's just one man's viewpoint. Anime makes money. There you go. Mm. Isekai do suck, but that's just one man's viewpoint. Anime makes money. There is your haiku. Isekai haiku. There we go. That was the rising of uh, Guardian Enzo Hero. (laughs) Indeed. Triumph. Triumph. Finally, Isekai. Finally, I I managed to do something that makes Isekai useful to me. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Do we have any listener questions this week? We didn't get a lot of them this week, but we did get one from, uh, one of my, uh, readers at LIA by the name of Nix. And, uh, Nix is a regular contributor over there who says, uh, we, Nix refers to the topic we had last week about what, what factors other, you know, what factors are important to us in choosing, you know, whether a series is good or not, what are the most important things to us? And uh, visuals was one of the things we talked about. And it, it, Nick's wants to know, can you remember some ugly drawn anime shows or manga, in your opinion, which were hard to watch or read for you because of that, but nonetheless interesting? So I'll let you answer this one first, Setsuke. Manga or anime that were ugly, but were interesting in spite of their ugliness. So I'll tell you two, one that I haven't seen yet, but I'm working up the courage to, and then one that um, I have seen and liked quite a bit. So I'll start with the one I liked. Kaiji, I avoided for the longest time because I didn't like the design of the main character. Um, and shame on me for that, obviously. Sometimes you just, you know, you're you're kind of shallow in that way. But Kaiji was really good. And one show that I haven't seen is uh, Netflix's Bucky. I haven't seen that yet because the... The really weird limbs kind of freak me out, and my brother's been trying to get me to watch it with him, and so one of these days he will succeed, and I will see how good Bucky is. Okay. Uh, Let me throw one out there. Kingdom. Um, We've talked about Kingdom before. The first season particularly of Kingdom was was eye cancer, 
it was really, really ugly, especially the first five or six episodes, which seemed to be like 75%, like 1980s caliber CGI. Uh, it got better, thank goodness. But the thing is that as bad as those early episodes were to watch, it was still interesting because you could tell how smart and how interesting the writing was. So Kingdom was really, when I read Nix's question, Kingdom was the first series that popped into mind for me. Yeah, Kingdom was definitely a, a rough one to watch. And whenever I, I think I got my wife and my brother into that one, and I had to give them the whole spiel of just just get through the first 13 or so episodes. They're good. Just just ignore your eyes. Uh, listen to your mind and your brain and your, and the sounds you hear. So, yeah, 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 sure. yeah. Also, Berserk. I have to say, uh, <laughs> yeah, that one ain't that one. That one ain't gonna be a kingdom story. I I hate to break it to you. No, no. But I know many people loved Berserk. Uh, it was the manga that is. Uh, so I was like thinking, oh, you know, but it never grabbed me the way Kingdom did, based on the writing. Uh, and but if you want to talk about an ugly series, the the Berserk reboot. That was some Oof. fugly, fugly, fugly anime right there. Oh my god! There was uh yeah, I, I I liked Berserk, and my opinions of the manga have changed. I think Berserk is a case of one really, really amazing arc, and then I think even the mangaka, as talented of an artist as he is, I don't think even he knew what he wanted to do after that arc was over and that's why it's probably still on hiatus well okay i'll take your word for it i i haven't read any of the manga and actually i haven't read any of the kingdom manga either because i kind of got interested in it after watching the first season of the anime but i was like well there's going to be more anime i'll just wait and watch it and i've kind of followed along in that uh and now we're still waiting for the third season to resume uh but that's another story as far as like manga which i can't really think of any manga where that would be true for me uh, maybe the one thing I would say is Hunter Hunter when uh, when um, uh, Tagashi was really going through his bad times and he would do those little bar bar napkin scribble chapters as you might call them you know uh, where where he would just be like so devastated physically that he couldn't even really draw and he would basically draw stick figures and just to have uh, just to have the chapter and then fix it later for the volume. That's really the only thing that comes to mind for me on the manga side. Anything for you on the manga side? Oh, on the manga side, um, probably Jojo. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, some of the earlier art, it looks weird. And even that was a thing for the anime as well. But people had hyped up the thing so much by that point. But some of the early art in Jojo is just rough. I think interesting, and it got it got really good later on, and maybe that's just the zaniness of it all. But I remember uh, originally I tried to read the JoJo manga, and I just couldn't. And it it was the anime, and specifically the second arc of the anime, that really made me a JoJo fan. Uh, so yeah, that's okay. Probably- and I would also say if you if you do decide to read Koino Katachi Silent Voice at some point. Uh, I think I have some issues with the with the with the with the art style in in that manga as well, especially early on. Um, so that's another one where it was the story kept me hooked, even if I maybe wasn't absolutely in love with the art. Although the art did did pick up, I think as she worked her way through that series, and I think the art in uh, For Your Eternity is far far more polished than it was in Silent Voice. Uh, okay, so thank you very much, Nix, for submitting that question. 
And if you care to submit questions, you can do that via my uh, patreon.com slash guardian Enzo. You can do that via uh, anime-evo.net. Uh, you can do that via lost in, uh, lost in You can do that in the YouTube comments. You can uh, even submit them to me on Twitter or Setsuken on Twitter. We're both on Twitter. So lots of places for you to do that. Questions and comments. We love them. Bring them in. I also retroactively, I just realized I had six syllables in the last, in the last line of my haiku. So it's going to be, uh, anime makes cash rather than anime makes money. So a last minute edit. Uh, Okay. And uh, that takes us pretty much to the end of this week's Notaku Anime Chat and lots of interesting stuff to come. So stay with us in the weeks and months ahead. But um, that, that's, uh, that's a wrap for this time. I just want to say thank you very much to our listeners. And thank you especially to those of you that share your comments with us. And uh, those of you, and by all means, we're available now on all your major uh, podcast indexers and podcast sites. You'll find us pretty much everywhere you find podcasts now. Some of those places give you opportunities to subscribe or to leave comments or to leave reviews or star ratings and such. By all means, if you like what you're what we're doing, sincerely appreciate it if you would do that for us. It helps us to get us uh, easier to find via searches and such. So please do that. And uh, any last thoughts for our listeners out there, Setsuken? Yes, I will say, please submit more questions because I don't want what I did last week to scare you guys off. I promise <laughs> I won't do any any more weird things for intros. So, um, yeah, that's about it. I say keep the weird things coming. I love the weird things. I, I they're, they're, they're lots of fun. But uh, I, And it takes the pressure off me to be weird, too, if you, if you can handle the weirdness. So, anyway, that's it. Have a great week. Uh, We'll see you next week with all kinds of interesting new stuff and uh, stay frosty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.